It's been leaked that Call of Duty Warzone 2 will wipe the slate clean and be exclusive to PS5 and Xbox Series consoles. But just how is this going to work with a free-to-play game? Good morning, good Thursday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for January 27th, 2022. It comes bright and early every weekday to our patrons who pledge at patreon.com sifted, and is delayed a couple days for everyone else. If you like our content, we also have a separate podcast feed for our flagship show, Game Face, that you can find by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. So coming on the heels of the big news of Activision Blizzard being acquired by Microsoft, and what followed later with us finding out that Microsoft plans on releasing three more Call of Duty games on PlayStation at least, One of those being Warzone, this according to Bloomberg. Initial indications are that it's going to launch either at the end of 2023 or in the early part of 2024. So what happens to all the guns, skins, cosmetics, and everything else that people have already bought in the first Warzone? What about all the people who have invested so much into it? It's a free-to-play experience funded exclusively by microtransactions. No weapons, skins, or cosmetics will carry over from the first game to the sequel. Now, you've snared all these people in with this free-to-play Call of Duty game. It's become bigger than you could have ever imagined. It's generated more revenue than you could have ever fathomed. And what are you going to do? You're going to cut off the hand that's been feeding you. That's right. If you've been playing Warzone since it launched way back in 2020, and you have dumped a ton of money into buying new guns, new cosmetics, whatever, in about a year from now, all that stuff is going to be gone if you try to play the sequel. Where I'm sitting, it's hard to even think of a way to do it right. Sure, obviously, maybe the right way to do it is you do not release Warzone 2. You just keep adding forever onto Warzone 1, but that's the problem. They're going to have to completely rebuild the game to get everything it can out of PS5 and Xbox Series consoles. So do you want Activision and all its various studios that work on Call of Duty to keep creating games for this old technology? All that's going to do is ultimately hold Warzone back. So I don't think it's practical or feasible to just say, you know what, we're just going to keep building on top of Warzone 1 into perpetuity. For users who care about progression and care about games getting better and care about games looking better, that's not going to work. So inevitably, there's going to be a tough transition here where, for better or worse, Microsoft is essentially going to cut off a good portion of the audience that's been playing Warzone when it launches this new service. Now, I don't think when Warzone 2 launches that Warzone 1 is going away. And what I do think you might see in this case is kind of what's happened with Battlefield across the years. You have certain installments of that franchise that resonate more than others, and fans ultimately gravitate towards one game or the other. But with the Battlefield franchise, it's not an either-or proposition. Multiple Battlefield games exist 
and coexist with several other Battlefield games. And each one has managed to find an audience that has sustained it for years and years and years. There's no reason to think that that can't happen with Call of Duty Warzone 2. And it really might just happen out of necessity. If you project yourself forward to 18 months from now, how many PS5s and Xbox Series X consoles do you think are going to be sold at that point? They're still struggling to keep up with demand, so sure, they're basically going to sell as many as they make. But that's still going to be a drop in the bucket compared to how many PlayStation 4s are out there that have been sold, that have Call of Duty Warzone installed on them, and that has someone that plays that game religiously almost every day. Constantly putting real money into the economy, constantly buying new skins for their weapon, constantly buying new cosmetics for their character. You're just going to cut those off? I don't think so. It would be a colossal mistake for Activision, Microsoft, who, whoever you want to assign the responsibility to. It would be a massive mistake for them to launch Warzone 2 and then turn off Warzone 1. And then you wonder, okay... If they do allow these two separate, disparate communities to exist, how does that impact the success of Warzone 2? Because Battle Royale games in general need a huge audience to make them work. Because what really made Battle Royale take off was how quickly you could be eliminated from a match and get back into another lobby and get back into the game again. And that requires a large audience, a large pool of people to pull players from, to get into each game. If you don't have enough players, people are sitting in the lobby forever, it doesn't work. If anyone knows how important it is to not spend a ton of time between one match to another, it's Activision. It's been a tenant of Call of Duty for over a decade now. They believe the secret sauce to their multiplayer modes being successful is that players can get back into a match almost instantly. And that is the case with Battle Royale as well. So if Warzone 2 doesn't have enough players, or as many players as Warzone 1, will you see players jumping back and forth? Because I'm assuming they're both going to be free to play. I don't see Warzone 2 launching and all of a sudden they're going to ask you to pay for it. So both games are going to be free to play. You're not going to have to make the decision between, oh, but I spent... $70 on this game, so I'm going to play this game. It won't matter. You are truly going to play whichever of the two games you enjoy more. It's going to be a struggle to try to pull people away from the first Warzone, knowing that they have all these things that they've already paid for or unlocked, whether it's a gun or a skin or whatever. You're basically asking those players to say goodbye to that to move over to this new game. And how is that going to work? How could that ever work? The only way it's going to work is if Warzone 2 is such a superior experience that players feel like they have no choice but to move on. So it's going to be up to the studios working on Warzone 2 to make it a proposition that players simply cannot turn down. That's no small order in today's market where there are literally dozens of competitors. There are hundreds of development studios making first-person shooters who are always pushing the envelope. Activision's going to have to do something like that. There's going to have to be something in Warzone 2, a killer app inside the game, if you will, that will convince people to jump from the old game to the new game. Or, as I mentioned earlier, they could play hardball and just shut off the servers for the first game, and that would just be 
madness. Complete and total madness. So I do not see that happening. This is a really nuanced story, a really nuanced topic. If you'd like to get some more context on it, I highly recommend you watch the Pactor Factor episode about sequels to games as a service. All right, now let's check out some stories from the top of all your sis. It was announced today that Mortal Kombat 2, the movie, is coming from New Line Cinema. It's a sequel to the <laughs> extremely gory film from 2021 that ended up debuting on HBO Max. I watched it. I really liked it. It was one of the few movies based on video games that I wasn't just cringing through the entire time. Jeremy Slater, who is the head writer on Moon Knight, is handling the screenplay, so that's good. Uh, the I don't know if you remember, but the last film ended before it probably should have, so there's plenty of unfinished business to lead into the sequel. Between Mortal Kombat and Sonic the Hedgehog, maybe my opinion of video game movies is slowly starting to shift. Slowly. If you plunk down the pretty penny to pre-order a Steam Deck, finally, you're gonna get your handheld. It was announced today by Valve that Steam Deck will finally be shipping out on February 28th. And those of you who pre-ordered it and are getting your unit in that first round of shipments should get an email from Valve on February 25th letting you know. At that point, you will have the option to even turn it down. So if you're having second thoughts or you're starting to get cold feet, Valve will actually give you the opportunity to bail right before your unit ships. And then whatever unit you had pre-ordered will just be given to the next person in line who still wants to fulfill their pre-order. So we're only about a month away from Steam Deck being out in the wild. And once that happens, then we'll start getting videos from YouTubers, tech folks. It'll be interesting to see what was fact and what was fiction with the Steam Deck. Uh, Valve was promising some pretty impressive things when it first debuted it. Also, Valve isn't really known to lie, so I'm guessing the final units will pretty much live up to what people are expecting. Nevertheless, I'm going to wait until some independent testers really put it through its paces before I decide to take the leap. Those things aren't cheap. Uncharted Legacy of Thieves reviews are in, and they're mostly positive. It currently sits at an 86 on Metacritic. If you don't remember, it's a collection that includes enhanced PS5 versions of both Uncharted 4 and the expand alone The Lost Legacy. You get both of those for 50 bucks. Most critics say that while it looks much better, few other improvements or changes have been made. It sounds like the ideal version for first-time buyers, though. Crisis 4 was announced today. Remember EA's old shooter where you basically played as a dude in a bionic suit that kind of became a part of him? <laughs> the first game is still used today as a benchmark test for PC prowess. I know I've had at least three rigs through my life where I tried to play Crisis, and most of them failed miserably. Uh, the second and the third games, they were actually also really good, but underrated and weren't played by a lot of players. But the fourth one is on the way. There's very little information about it. We got a debut teaser trailer today. It gives up basically nothing. It's really just a recruitment video for the development team, which means it's a long ways off. So we're guessing it will be a PS5 and Xbox Series only shooter. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight.
welcome to today's boss fight where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. Today's outing is most definitely related to video games. Pokemon Legends Arceus is getting great reviews. Uh, I thought it might come in around a 7, 7.5. Right now its Metacritic is sitting at 86. Most of the reviews have actually been pretty high. There's been a couple outliers that have really kind of dinged it. That has brought down the aggregate score a little bit, but really pleasantly surprised by what I'm seeing so far of these reviews, and also pleasantly surprised by the context of the reviews themselves. The general consensus, and I've read, I don't know, seven reviews of it at this point, the general consensus is that it's a groundbreaking yet streamlined take on Pokemon that's really only held down by its presentation, the graphics. I think I think we all knew that. <laughs> if you if you watched any of the trailers for Pokemon Legends Arceus, you could see that there were it was there were some dodgy frame rates. The open world looked a little barren. The Pokemon looked great though. Um, so that seems to be the major complaint with the game is that technically it's just not up to scratch with most open world games that we are playing these days. But I want to focus on what most of the reviews focus on, which is the drastic changes to the Pokemon formula. Now, I haven't played the game yet. I should be getting it from Nintendo tomorrow. We don't get review code from Nintendo crazy early like we used to in uh, the game trailers days. So I'm taking the word of these other critics who have played a ton of the game and reviewed it. And essentially what they're saying is that it's found new ways to do things that we had been doing for a long time and we never stopped to think about how absurd it was. Most of the reaction that I've seen so far online from fans who have been reading the reviews and checking out the reviews, it's been mostly positive. But there's this certain segment of Pokemon fans who are very, very nervous because the game is getting such high reviews and it's not exactly like the mainline Pokemon games. So there's a certain segment of Pokemon fans who are nervous that this game may do so well with critics and ultimately do so well at retail that maybe they'll never get that same boring, staid template that Pokemon has been built on for the last 20 years at this point. This brings up the question of how far is too far for fans? Generally with most franchises, you can tweak a couple things here or there, and maybe you introduce like one really cool new gameplay innovation. One thing to kind of hang the player's hat on so that they aren't questioning why they bought the same game twice. That seems to be the limit for most fans. Once you start stretching outside of that, then you start seeing the responses like, oh, it's not the same game anymore. This isn't really Pokemon. It should be called something else. There's a bevy of excuses that fans make when they feel like something that they love is changing too much. Personally, I've been playing Pokemon since Red and Blue, since the very first game. So I've been playing the series for well over 20 years at this point. I am dying for changes. I should also qualify this by saying that I am, in fact, a Pokemon fan. I am not a rabid fan. I am not a Pokemon fanboy. But I have enjoyed Pokemon. I still enjoy Pokemon, even though it has changed very little in the past. Part of that is that the series generally has been quarantined to handhelds. 
And now obviously Switch is a console handheld hybrid, and so it's releasing for both. But being able to do something like Arceus hasn't always been feasible. Now back in the GameCube era, Nintendo did release a consoleized take on Pokemon, but really it was just like a handheld Pokemon at a higher resolution. It there really weren't that many changes to it and honestly it was inferior to the handheld Pokemon games because the story was really dull and it didn't have as many Pokemon as the handheld games did at that point. It was it was an answer to angry fans who had asked for a 3D Pokemon for a really long time and never really got a proper 3D Pokemon. And I would argue that the GameCube game, I believe it was called Gale of Darkness, also wasn't a proper 3D Pokemon game. This appears to be the first legit 3D Pokemon game. And I don't mean the game being built with polygons because that's been happening for a while. And in fact, they just remade a couple Pokemon games and now the objects in the game are built out of polygons instead of being 2D sprites. But this is the first game where the 3D really matters. Everything has been tweaked in the game. How you battle is different. Um, There's a huge stealth element in the game because if you surprise a Pokemon, it changes how your interactions work with the Pokemon. While it is not a completely open world game, you can't just run forever in one direction. There are these big self-contained zones. It does give you the, the feeling of freedom that an open world game will often imbibe in the player. And again, that's a huge departure for Pokemon. So the question becomes, if, if fans, in fact, do rebel against this and, and are fearful that a positive response to this game could keep them from getting the Pokemon games that they really want and they really like, how does that play out? You have people like me who are Pokemon fans but are ready for a change, ready to see something different in something that they love. And then you have this other group of people who are clinging to the past and want to, they want things to stay the same. There's a lot of nostalgia for video game franchises, not just Pokemon. People grow up with these things. And sometimes when you change them too much, those nostalgic feelings that they get when they play them, they go away. And there's a certain point where fans can actually harm a project and keep it from progressing and evolving. I just checked out this TV series. I believe it was on Amazon Prime called Wheel of Time. It's it's kind of a cross between The Witcher and Game of Thrones. It kind of sits right in the middle of those two properties. And I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I hadn't heard anything about it until someone recommended it to me on social media. Decided to check out the first episode. I got hooked in and eventually over time I ended up watching the whole first season. I really liked it. After I finished the series, I did a quick Google search to maybe learn a little bit more about the lore, maybe pick up on some things that I missed while I was watching it. And what I found is that the people who love the books hate the TV series. They change too much. These characters aren't supposed to interact this way. These two aren't supposed to be romantically involved. Oh, the the way they cast that spell isn't just like the book. And I was just, I was like, this is madness. Like, I don't care about the books. I didn't even know that there were books that the show was based on at all. I just knew it was a fantasy series that was on Amazon Prime. I was looking for something to watch. I got a recommendation for it, and I watched it, and I really liked it. 
And then, post-haste, I find that true fans, quote-unquote, of The Wheel of Time hate the show. And I don't care. I thought the show was great. And I hope there's a season two. And I hope if there is a season two, that they don't change the show because the fans were being whiny about it. Sometimes fans can ruin stuff. They get so caught up in what their preconceived notions are, their preconceptions are, and when they don't get exactly what they want, they also feel entitled to tell whoever is producing the art that it's not good enough, that it's not true enough to the source material. I don't care about that. I don't care. I don't know why. I don't know why most people care about things like that. Look at Look at things like the Spider-Man films. I can't even keep up with like what the timelines are now. And I can't... There's been so many actors that have played Spider-Man in the last 20 years. Like I don't know if like when they get a new actor, if that means they're operating in some other timeline that doesn't match with the other films. And they're the films that Sony made. And those don't actually... They're not a part of the same universe as these other movies that this other... I don't care. I don't care. Is the art good? Or is the art bad. That's all that matters to me. And I do understand, as I said earlier, there are people who grow up with these franchises and they feel hurt. (laughs) They're like, I play Pokemon games to remember what it was like to be eight years old and going to school and battling Pokemon on my Game Boy Advance or whatever. I don't get that now with Arceus. I can understand that, but eventually you're going to be like me. You're going to be older and you will have played 20 some years of Pokemon and you'll be looking for something new. And then what? You're going to be me on a podcast screaming at your old you to wake up and be more open to progression and innovation in your favorite art. All right, thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. This show is in your feeds every morning when you get up to go commute or just eat your frickin' cereal like I like to do in the mornings. (laughs) One thing's for sure, I hope it's helping get your day off on the right foot. I'm Shane Satterfield. Do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Good Morning Gaming. Until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another.